Your Family, Your Money is brought to you by Westpac Bump Savings Account. Welcome to a Kindling podcast, Your Family, Your Money. I'm Georgina Dent. And I'm Caitlin Fitzsimmons. We're two mums with young families and we want to help all families understand money better. It is so closely linked with with all of the things that we do, whether that is, you know, where we live, how we live, how we look after our children, where they go to school, how we spend our holidays. It's, It's so closely linked with all of those decisions. And I think that empowering people to to be comfortable talking about money is so important. It's true. It's one of those big taboos. People hate talking about it, but especially for couples, it's like you you really have to get on the same page about it. Otherwise, it's not going to work. And I think that the way families manage their money is incredibly important to their to their security and to their their happiness. In this episode, we're talking about bill busting. What's your biggest household expense, Georgie? Our biggest household expense is food. I I don't know whether that is unusual. I have been looking through our bills. Yeah, and it is the biggest. What what do you spend the most money on? I think it's probably food for us as well. I I looked on the ASICS Money Smart website and I'm actually doing pretty well because the average family with children the same age as mine spends $279 a week on food and drink and we're collectively wasting $10 a year. But uh, I reckon we spend, you know, 150 to 180 a week. If you count the lunches I buy when I'm at work, we could round it up to, you know, $200. Um, and that's a, a lot less than the, the 279 So, Yeah, well, I'm definitely closer to the 279 um, I suppose I can at least justify part of our groceries on the fact that we do always have leftovers for lunch. So I suppose when you look at the overall spend, that comes down a bit. But you're also a family of five. That is correct. And my husband's vegetarian. Okay, yeah. Look, my husband is not vegetarian and he does eat an extraordinary amount. What tips do you have to sort of cut down your grocery bill? Well, I try to make a list. Um, I I would love to be one of those people who meticulously uh, do all their meal planning and know exactly what they're cooking every day. But I do find it hard to stick to that. I'm more a kind of, I go and look in the fridge and then I improvise and make something up for tonight's dinner based on what we have. Uh, But I I prioritise buying the fresh fruit and vegetables and whole foods and then trying to kind of create meals with that rather than buying uh, packaged processed food because that's expensive and it's also not that good for you. Yeah, I am a meticulous meal planner. And I actually, funnily enough, my husband and I, when we met, we were both uni students, but we were both living in share houses where we planned meals and sort of shopped. And in both of our share houses, there were four people and we would each cook one meal a week, but we would do the household shop as a group. And we have just always done that. And I do think that it does save money in in terms of you know, I write the list and then that's what we have. But then there are times I don't plan for seven meals a week. So we definitely do improvise sometimes with what's in the fridge or what's in the pantry. But I also am conscious, I'm always conscious of trying to cut down on the food waste because I think from a financial perspective, it's important. But also in terms of the environment, I feel like when you're feeding kids, there is so much waste and I'm always trying to cut that down. Yeah, I, the only dangerous thing is when you cut down on the food waste by finishing what's on the children's plates. I'm I'm trying to break myself of that habit. 
Yes. If it was nice the first time, surely it's going to be nice for lunch the next day or for another meal, you know. And look, I have to say, in our house, we are religious leftover eaters. Um, for, for lunch most days, either my husband and I will either both or one of us will have leftovers. Um, but we also do a lot of things in our house. If we, if the kids might have our leftovers the next night and then what what we cook after they've gone to bed, they'll have for dinner the next night. So it sort of saves cooking two meals at once. But then come 5.30 when you've got three very hungry kids who want to be fed immediately, you can get their dinner on the plate relatively quickly. Yeah, the the food waste issue is a big one. Uh, Australians apparently waste 20% of the food that they purchase, and that equates to about $1,000 per year. Uh, so, you know, there, there's some easy savings right there if you can actually make sure that you use what you buy or that you only buy what you're going to use. Now, what about other household bills? Do you think that there are comparison sites that can help with things like your energy provider or your internet or your fo- mobile phone? Absolutely. But I think there there are a, a lot of comparison sites out there where you don't exactly know what you're getting because there are commercial deals in place where they might not be showing every provider in the market, only those that have paid to be there. Or they might have every provider in there, but the order of the results will be influenced by who's paid to be there or whether they've paid to have links and, and so on. So I think what a lot of people don't realise is that there are actually, for a lot of things, some government websites they can look at instead. So what are some of the better independent comparison sites out there to to make sure you're getting the best bang for your buck? Well, first of all, when it comes to electricity, there are some uh, specialist websites on um, electricity that are actually backed by the government. And there are huge savings to be found in electricity. The Australian Energy Regulator has found that the difference between the cheapest and most expensive provider for a family of four is $1,400 in Sydney. Wow. Yeah, $800 in Canberra, $900 in Brisbane. But Yeah, that's absolutely worth exploring, isn't it? So they offer a product comparison facility called Energy Made Easy, and that's uh, energymadeeasy.gov.au. And in Victoria, there's also a state government site that does a similar thing, um, which is compare.switchon.vic.gov.au. So there's a tip for shopping around for electricity. I wouldn't be kind of going to the commercial sites for something like that when the government's already created something that isn't going to end up with spam phone calls and emails and so on. And I think it is worth saying that um, I have read on a number of occasions that you can cut up to 20% off your electricity bill just by being more mindful of, of when you're using electricity and, and, you know, turning off appliances when you're not using them, turning off the lights when you're not using them, putting your um, dishwasher and your washing machine on during non-peak times. And and all of those things, you can make a significant, I mean, 20% off your bill is substantial. Um, I think when you look at electricity and gas prices, that's a substantial chunk of, of most households' budget, I would say, in any given month. 
Yeah, and it used to be that um, your electricity bills would spike in winter um, when you needed the heating, unless, you know, your electricity or your gas. But now, because more and more houses have uh, air conditioning and the country uh, and the planet is unfortunately getting hotter, there's demand all the year round. It's the the peaks of summer electricity usage um, are just as high as the peaks of winter. Absolutely. And I mean, I have to say, in my experience, we don't get paper bills anymore. But, you know, when it when it comes up on my phone that we get our, our latest bill, every time I open either our electricity or our gas, I'm always shocked. And I think it's one of those expenses where when you get the bill, it's too late to do anything about it. So you have to sort of be on the front foot. You have to make those inquiries about comparing your provider. And you also have to start thinking about what electricity you're using that you could cut back on because by being more mindful of those things, there there is the opportunity to make savings. But unfortunately, when the bill comes in, it's too late yeah, to I'd, cut much off that. Yeah, I'd say that uh, the, you know, air conditioning in summer, I would save that for the really, really hot days when, you know, you're not coping. There's a lot you can do with open windows or fans or kind of cool scarves kind of hanging in front of fans and just airflow. Um, or you could just head to the pool or, you know, ice skating. I used to take my kids ice skating last summer when on those, those really hot days and that oh, was a lot what of a fun. Nice, what a nice mum. It is worth noting that while it will vary depending on where you live and how you live, generally the off-peak times for when it's more efficient um, from an energy perspective to use your appliances is when people aren't using them. So if you can put your dishwasher on to sort of start at midnight or 1am, it's probably going to be cheaper than if you did it at sort of 6pm or in the middle of the day. And that goes the same for your washing machine. I know that there are plenty of appliances now that you can actually set to start at a later time. And so it might be worth thinking about doing that if you put a load of washing on before you go to bed and then set it to to start the cycle at Mm -hmm. 1am. And same with your dishwasher. Well, that's unless, of course, you've got solar panels because then you're creating electricity in the middle of the day when the sun is shining. So then you want to be using all your electricity as much as you can during the day. Unless, of course, you've uh, installed a battery, which is the kind of latest and greatest exciting kind of add-on to solar panels um, so that you can actually store your electricity and then use it any time you want. Yep, that's absolutely right. I suppose it all it just goes to show that... Whichever technology um, or energy source you're using, take some time to look into when it's on peak and off peak. If you do have the solar panels, obviously using your appliances when you've got the energy stored will be in the middle of the day and that's your best option. But if not, it would be worth looking into using it overnight. Definitely. I think with the the solar panels too, the the economics of them are changing. They used to be quite expensive. There was was little to no battery technology, uh, but you did get a lot of subsidies and you got kind of paid feed-in tariffs um, for what you produced and sold back to the electricity provider, back to the grid. Uh, Now those feed-in tariffs, they're not very generous. They're often non-existent in some cases, but the price of the panels is coming down and down and down, and the cost of batteries is also coming down. So they can deliver significant savings um, even without the subsidies. You're listening to the podcast, Your Family, Your Money with Caitlin Fitzsimmons and me, Georgie Dent. On this show, we're talking about bill busting. And coming up, we're going to look into how you can save money on your mobile and internet bills, how to save money on cars, and finally, how you can do a review of your providers to save more money. 
First, we have a question from a listener. R. Lamb of Concord West in Sydney says, We have a family with two kids under four and want advice on whether to put our extra money into the mortgage redraw or to buy private health insurance for the family. Do you have any guidance? Okay, we don't know how much our lamb and partner are earning and that would make a difference. If they're kind of in uh, a high income bracket um, of more than 180000 for a, a couple or more than 90000 for an individual, then they should get private health insurance because the amount that they're paying in tax through the extra Medicare levy surcharge would exceed the cost of private health insurance. But if they're like most Australians and their their income is below that threshold, uh, then I would um, personally steer them towards the mortgage redraw. And if they're successful in saving into that, it's a form of self-insurance anyway. They can call on that for um, medical needs if they need to. But we do have a public health system. It's not perfect, but it's not like uh, in the US or some mm. other countries where private health insurance is an essential. I think it is a nice to have. It doesn't always cover you when you want it to either. And we'll, we'll probably talk more about this in the private health insurance episode. I think the studies have shown that the people who actually benefit from private health insurance are people over the age of 60 and people who have chronic medical conditions. Most of us don't. Most of us are paying to support those people because that's the way insurance works. But if you do want private health insurance, um, there's another one of those government websites I was talking about. Again, don't go to the, the commercial comparison sites because the government has a site called privatehealth.gov.au. And if you go there, then you can kind of look at the best plans for your family and you know that it's including the whole market, it's unbiased and it, it's not going to uh, prompt sales calls and spam. So, Caitlin, what are your tips on cutting down the, the amount of money that we spend on our mobiles and our internet bills? That's a really great question. Uh, I think my biggest uh, tip is to buy your mobile phone outright, and that's whether you want just a basic phone or if you want the kind of latest and greatest with all the bells and whistles. Generally speaking, it's going to be uh, cheaper and give you the most amount of freedom if you own that phone outright and then you can go and find the uh, mobile phone plan that best suits you. And for some people who just want to kind of be able to make and receive calls and send a few texts, then they probably just want um, a prepaid plan. Um, for people who use a lot of data, I would include myself in that, um, you might want to have a postpaid plan where you kind of pay the same amount every month and you have inclusions. But if you own your phone outright, you can still do that, but you're not contracted. You're not stuck with that same provider for two years. And if you're unhappy, you can switch. You can, you know, when someone offers a better rate, you can switch. If you're kind of going away for a period of time and you won't be using your Australian telco, you can co go down to like a $5 a month plan that kind of just keeps your number alive. Um, it just gives you that freedom. So I've in the past had... Um, 
owned my own phone and had a plan that was $30 a month with unlimited usage. Um, Mm. And you're not going to get that if you're paying off a handset at the same time. Yeah, it's interesting. I actually had my uh, mobile phone stolen a couple of months ago, which was really frustrating and quite inconvenient. But it was also really interesting because it actually forced me to look right into the numbers because I was, you know, considering what I should do. And I hadn't realised how much of a surcharge you end up paying if you, you know, effectively buy your handset from the provider because you're renting it and the overall spend is a lot more than if you bought the handset. So we decided for me that I would buy my new phone outright and then go on to a plan where it's quite, I think it's about $40 a month for unlimited calls and unlimited data. And it, that is going to save us a significant amount of money. Yeah, and you know you can insure that phone too and because you own it outright you can kind of shop around to different specialist mobile phone insurance providers. Uh, I'm not going to name names because I haven't tested them all individually but, you know, if you Google it, they're out there. Um, There's even apps like, I think there's... I've just said I'm not going to name names, but there's there there's an app called Trove T R O V where you get you can turn the insurance on and off. So if you really want to, you could insure it only when you're out of the house and not for the other eight hours when you're asleep or, or whatever. How interesting! I ha- I do have to say actually that we I don't have specific phone insurance. I was pleasantly surprised to discover that in our home and contents insurance, we actually did have some coverage for a electrical device that was out of the home, which I was quite surprised by. Um, and that didn't cover the entire cost of the phone, but it did it did cover about half of it, which um, was quite a pleasant surprise. The other thing to bear in mind when you're shopping around for a phone is that if you're not concerned with buying the latest model, you can buy a new phone that comes with the warranty and um, everything else, but there's significant savings if it's not this year's model. So, for example, I just bought um, an iPhone 6S, brand new, but because we're now up to iPhone 8, it was $530 cheaper than the exact same model would have been two years ago. Yeah, that's amazing, isn't it? But you asked about internet as well, Mm. Uh, and I think it's a tricky one because um, obviously we're all in the kind of uh, process as a nation of uh, the NBN either rolling past our home or not rolling past our home, and if it rolls past your home, can you actually get connected yet, or is it just home's Mm. past. Mm. (laughs) And so, you know, there's a lot of kind of deals out there. And I guess my my biggest piece of advice there would be not to rush into a contract where you're stuck for a few years. I mean, there's a theme there. I I, I like freedom. Yes, Uh, I'm picking up on that. (laughs) But I do think with the NBN and everything changing so fast um, that all of those deals in market are going to change really fast too. So I'd be kind of definitely keeping options open there. So uh, with mobile phones and internet and um, also other things like pay TV, there's a big specialist site called whistleout.com.au. It's not one of the government ones, but um, it is specialist. It's independent. Um, And for example, they compare more than 7,000 mobile phone combinations. So, you know, again, with all of these commercial sites, they have to make money somehow. So what you do is you scroll below to the cheapest plans, which are listed underneath the so-called featured plans. Mm. Yeah. I mean, it is amazing actually just sitting here listening to you talk about these different comparison sites. There are few excuses for not 
digging deeper into the different service providers that you use for different services. Because I think it is tempting to be complacent because, I mean, we all know that dealing with big corporations isn't always easy. You know, things like getting through to one of the big energy providers, it is often an exercise in patience. Oh, it's a nightmare. (laughs) Exactly. And I think there is that um, puts a lot of us off. I can certainly relate to that sort of thinking, should I really look into this? And you think, I just can't fathom having to deal with them. But you actually look at the bottom line and there's there's savings to be made. Well, I think the really great thing about it is that it's, it's set and forget. It's not a budgeting thing where it's relying on your willpower every single day. I will not buy that coffee. I will not buy that lunch. I will not buy that new dress. It's just, yeah, there's a bit of kind of pain of the research and the phoning up and the switching over. But once you've done it, you just kind of save without even trying to for the whole rest of the year. So what I always recommend people do is to set a day once a year. Maybe it's spring cleaning, maybe it's New Year's resolutions, you know, just pick a date in the near future um, and, uh, and you know, annually go through all of your providers and see if you're getting the best deals and switch. And if you kind of concentrate that pain, you, you're going to benefit from that for the rest of the year. Absolutely. Now, another big expense in our household budget is the car. How, are there any ways that we can save money on cars? Car ownership is just going up and up and up. You know, despite despite investments in public transport, despite the rise of kind of, you know, Uber and car sharing schemes like GoGet and Car Next Door, you know, still more and more people own a car. And in fact, I think the majority of Australian households own two cars or more. So I guess, first of all, the, the, the biggest way to save money, if you possibly can, is to ditch the second car. <laughs> it's, a, yes, it's a big one. but It is a big one. We are a two-car family and we have looked at it a number of times. And given the nature of, I think I've mentioned before that my husband works in health and because of that, he changes locations often. There's not always good public transport. The hours are very odd. So sometimes he has to be out there at midnight and at that time, public transport just isn't a viable option. And then the flip side to that is that we have got the kids and they often do need to be driven to their swimming lessons. Or And I mean, look, we do use public transport with the kids quite often, particularly during the week, but we just can't at this stage come up with an arrangement where not having a second car doesn't work. For us, it provides a benefit that we're willing to pay for. Well, I think it, it, it can be really tricky, like especially public transport's designed to take you from the suburbs to the city. There are the occasional kind of cross-suburb um, bus lines or, you know, if you live somewhere along a train line. Mm. Uh, but, you know, it, it's it's really kind of geared around the CBD in the big cities. Uh, and the problem with that is that often, uh, and I'm a city dweller, uh, often it's two suburbs away that I need to go. You know, we're driving to grandma's house or we're driving to swimming lessons and there are not public transports uh, links along, you know, between those suburbs. Yes. I think that's where as a country, particularly our cities, it's quite different because if you've spent any time in, in America or in England or in Europe, their public transport systems are much more comprehensive in, in getting you across the city and getting to different areas. Whereas I think here in Australia, you are right that the majority of the systems are just designed from suburb to CBD and, and back out again. 
Well, I mean, I think that depends on which cities you're talking about in the US or the or the UK. Like they're, you know, certainly kind of, you know, the New York subway system is very comprehensive, but there are many other cities where there's public transports like non-existent. So. Uh, you know, I, I think we've kind of inherited more of that car culture from those kind of cities in the US that are all about the kind of the freeways and the commuting and and so on. And there there often seems to be a focus from governments in investing in roads. And sure, they might be investing in public transport as well, but the roads always seem to be the focus. So um, we're talking about public transport. You and I both live in a big city, but I'm, I'm sure there are many listeners out there as well who live in smaller cities or in regional towns or in the country. And in those places, I think a car is even more essential. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I grew up in a, in a, in a regional town and there is very limited public transport still today. And I mean, it's not a tiny town. Um, but I think that is pretty consistent um, around Australia. So assuming that a lot of Australians do have a car, how, how, what are the areas where we can make savings? The first thing to look at is your car insurance, and that should be part of your annual review that I was talking about earlier. And then apart from that, I guess it's looking at your usage, like how often you're driving and how often you're filling up petrol and see if you can uh, chip away at that. There, there are also sites where you can find out where the cheapest petrol is. But the one thing I'd caution is it's not worth driving seven kilometres out of your way to save a few cents on petrol. It's, it's a false economy. So it's interesting to know. And if you're kind of going past somewhere that's got good petrol, then you can be opportunistic. But I'm not sure about redesigning your whole behaviour around it. But Georgia, you, you're, I mean, you said you have two cars and, and you rely on them. So do you have any tips on how you kind of cut down on usage or save money by when you're doing it? So one of the easy savings that we can make every year is um, with your compulsory third-party insurance, there's no reward for staying with the same provider. And we have been able to save about $150 for each car each year for the last couple of years. Um, So that's definitely something worth looking into. Wow. And I suppose being um, conservative and cautious about how you you use the cars. If I can use public transport with the kids, I'll, I will do that. There are certain things, like when I do the family grocery shop or my husband does the family grocery shop, obviously it makes sense to take the car because then you can put all the groceries in the back. But I suppose, yeah, we are just conscious of, of only using them when we need to. Um, I think the other thing is that, and this is again only an issue if you live in big cities, but tolls are also actually a fairly substantial um, component. If For anyone who's commuting sort of and needs to use one of the major roads, particularly in the big cities, it's almost impossible to avoid um, tolls. And my husband has tried different routes at different times, but it comes back to the false economy thing that if it takes three times as long to get home or to get to work, is that saving really worth it? And I mean, we have concluded that no, no, it's not when you've already got a 45 minute drive to work, taking an hour and a half isn't worth the, you know, avoiding the $10 toll. So my um, big thing is that I always walk to school with the kids. It's about a 10 to 15 minute walk. It's probably about a 12 minute walk. You know, it's it's not so much to save money. It's also, you know, it's to help the environment. It's to develop the habits in them of uh, walking to school is normal. It's what we do. And then the other thing, um, I mean, you mentioned shopping and of course we go grocery shopping as well, but we also do a lot of our shopping online. So we have a, a regular 
order set up with, in our case, Aussie Farmers Direct, but obviously you've got, you know, lots of uh, providers that can, you know, deliver groceries. Mm. Uh, so we we don't have to go shopping with quite as much regularity as we would otherwise. You know, it can sometimes be kind of every week and a half instead of every week or twice a week. Yeah, we have we have definitely tried online a few times and, and we do, that is still definitely part of our mix. But um, there's always, for some reason, there's always something that we need, whether we've run out of laundry powder or nappies or, you know, one of those things that you sort of actually can't get by without. I actually interviewed a, a family recently that, well, they live in Randwick. It does have very good public transport around there and they have jobs that are fairly local. Um, but they have three children and um, they don't have a car at all. They exclusively use uh, walking, riding bikes, public transport and uh, car sharing in their case, um, mostly car next door, but they have used GoGet as well. Mm. Uh, and I guess the uh, the flip side of that, they said there's four cars from car next door on their street. And in a lot of those cases, it's families with their second car um, that I was commenting on earlier, but they're kind of earning some money back on their second car by making it available through these sites. So it can kind of work both ways to, you know, either help you not have a car or to help you earn money from having a car. Yeah. How interesting. That would be worth looking into further. If you have any topics or questions, feel free to drop us an email, podcast at kindling.com.au. And we do have a question. Um, In fact, the questions have been coming flooding in, which is great, so please keep them coming. This one is from Priya from Salisbury North in Adelaide. My husband is a very proud man, but we are always arguing about money and he doesn't want to talk to friends about how to manage better. Is there an anonymous service that I can try to get him to talk to? It puts so much stress on our family. I think the children can sense that the home is not a happy place. Oh, well, look, I think actually that is a very good question. And I think it is actually probably a question a lot of families could relate to because as we have discussed in in earlier episodes, finances is a very contentious uh, point in in lots of relationships. Uh, I think also the fact that it is something that a certain amount of pride can get in the way. And I think that can be for men and for women, but it can can be one of those things that prevents us from seeking help. Priya, I would suggest the the National Debt Helpline as as your first port of call. Um, they can be reached on 1800 007 007 um, and they can help you and possibly put you in touch with a financial counsellor to talk through some strategies initially for how to, how to deal with your husband and how you can potentially work together better to sort of resolve some of this conflict. The other thing I would add to that is that, you know, given that your husband is proud, it sounds like he's quite private about his problems, that maybe rather than talking to someone, he might want to read some books or listen to some podcasts and, uh, you know, upskill himself without having to, you know, talk to another person about his problems. And then then the two of you can kind of, you know, have some knowledge and um, skills to try to tackle the problem together. That's it for this episode. I'm Georgie. I'm Caitlin. Join us next time for more of Your Family, Your Money, where we'll be looking into the juggle, how to transition back to work and boost your income on the side. Your Family, Your Money is brought to you by Westpac Bump Savings Account, 
as part of Westpac's 200th year celebration. If your baby was born in 2017, Westpac will deposit $200 into a Westpac Bump Savings account, which they can withdraw when they turn 16. You can open the account online today. Visit westpac.com.au forward slash dearbump. Account must be opened and your ID verified by 31 May 2018. The $200 is limited to one per child and will be forfeited if the account is closed before their 16th birthday. Other T's and C's and eligibility criteria apply. Read the T's and C's available at the Westpac website before deciding if the product is right for you.